0: If you turn this morning to John chapter 12, we're going to take verses 20 through 36, a fairly lengthy passage of scripture. Jesus is giving a message here that is extremely important for us today. And the reason is this, the world is perishing. People are dying and they're going to spend eternity separated from God. And the chief reason you've been left here is to make sure that other people get to see Jesus. And we need to take that seriously in these last days. And so I encourage you, I strongly encourage you, as we prepare our hearts for communion, which will participate in the Lord's Supper towards the end of the message, ask the Lord to give you a burden for the lost, for people that you know, people that you work with, people that you meet on the street, people that you meet in the grocery store, people that you are going to be the Jesus that they see tomorrow. You're going to be the light. You're going to be the lighthouse. The question is, will you help people? see Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the glorious privilege of being your mouthpiece on this earth. And Lord, we pray that we would not stumble, we would not fail. Lord, that we would not uh, forsake the very high calling of helping men see Jesus. Women see Jesus. The world see you, Jesus. And so, God, as we study your word, as we turn our attention to the cross, Lord, as we remember that you died for us, you paid the price so that we might spend eternity with you as we have received you by grace and through faith, Lord, speak to us now. Empower us with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 20, and we're going to take a fairly large chunk of scripture, and I want you to look... Because you're going to see seekers, people looking for the Lord Jesus. Verse 20, and now there were certain Greeks. There's the first group. Among those who came up to worship at the feast. And so they're coming uh, as, in essence, visitors to a Jewish feast. They're hanging around, uh, if you will, at a time when the Jews are celebrating Passover. And then they came to Philip who is from Bethsaida of Galilee, so the northern shore, the Sea of Galilee, uh, barely up in the foothills, not too far from the Jordan River and where it enters into the Sea of Galilee on the north shore. Uh, Philip comes from Bethsaida, asking him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. People are asking of you the same exact question. You may not know it, but they've heard you're a believer. They understand that you go to a church. They wonder what that church is all about. People around you wish to see Jesus. The question is not whether they wish to see Jesus, but will you show them Jesus? Will you let them get a glimpse of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, Another group, people listening in. Do you know that people listen into your conversations? You know that while you're talking to your children in line, maybe at the grocery store, or you're in Costco, and you're asking yourself why you need a 200-pound bag of dog food? (laughs) And you're debating the principles of stewardship. People are listening. They're standing next to you going, what's this stewardship? What does that mean? You see, they're actually wanting to see Jesus. They're wondering what it is that you're all about. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man, a title only given to Jesus should be glorified. For most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. But now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Notice he doesn't say, what shall I do? For this person, the Son of Man has come into the world for this reason. He's come. He he knows he's going to die. But what's he going to communicate? Father, save me from this hour. So he asks, in essence, knowing the gravity of the week that he's facing, what shall I say? And he will say that. You will say, Father, if this be possible, take this cup from me. But for this purpose I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore, notice the next group, the people who stood by, heard it said, that it had thunders, thundering, thundered. It was a loud voice. It was inescapable. You know, the voice of the church, the voice of Christ, the voice of the word, alive in the church, is supposed to thunder in this world. We're supposed to be the voice of reason in an unreasonable world. We're supposed to be the voice of love in an unloving world. We're supposed to be... The voice of the light of the Lord in a world that's in darkness. Are you thundering? Is, is the word that's been given to you being speak, spoken forth? The people who stood by heard it. Notice another group. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Jesus is God. He he needs no further instruction about who he is or why he's there. But the world needs to know about Jesus. And so God, the Father, speaking from heaven, speaks of his Son and says, in him, I will be glorified. It's still our task. It's still our goal. We, we have been given this incredible privilege of speaking forth the beauty of God's plan, the gospel of grace. But now is the judgment of this world. And now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Anybody looking forward to that day? Amen? I am. I can't wait until the ruler of the darkness of this age is put where he belongs, in the place that was created for him and for his minions, his angels. He will be cast out. And notice what Jesus said If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. And the people answered him, saying, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Do you see them looking? Do you see them seeking? Do you see them wondering what it is that this gospel is all about? The same is true today. Family of God, the same is true today. People are looking, they're seeking, they're wanting to know what is truth. In our world, that is almost an insane question. Isn't it? you ask people what truth is, you're going to get some pretty crazy answers. Including, well whatever I think it is, that's what truth is. And Jesus said to them a little while longer, and the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. For he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Are we faithfully showing people Jesus? You see, while Jesus was here, he was... And really remains the light. But he's in heaven now. And he's transmitted that light into your life. And into mine. Into the life of the church. So that the world has become a lighthouse to the lost. Your life, your family, this church... We collectively and every one of you individually who have named the name of the Lord now bear the responsibility of taking the light of the world into the world so that the world through him can be saved. Are we doing that? You see, too often we end up in that situation, which is actually described a little bit in Mark's companion passage to this passage in Mark 11, Because right after Jesus says this, as he comes into Jerusalem, he goes in and cleanses the temple. And I ask you a simple question. Is the light hidden because of something in your life that needs cleaning up? How often do we as Christians act very much like we act when we have relatives coming over. Anybody do an extra cleaning of your home when you have friends coming over? You put away the stuff that might be out, that's kind of, well, I don't know about that. You get the Swiffer and you actually do the corners. You know what I'm saying. Like us, we've got a couple of very large Labradors that I have no idea where all this hair comes from but it You do the little extra things. You clean the temple metaphorically speaking. You clean your house. You see it so people will get the very best impression of you. Amen. Can we expand that thought a little bit? Should we not keep our own lives clean so they get the very best view of Jesus? Should not our lives be in such a state of order that people could look at you and look at me and look at us and talk to us and thereby see the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You see, because here's the real truth God loves the whole world. Amen? God does not just love people who are already saved, He loves the whole world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And each time here in John's gospel when Jesus is using this word or John is using this word he's using the Greek word cosmos which means the universe God loves his whole creation Christ died for the whole of creation He gave his life for the whole creation he loves everyone. Jesus loves the lost. That's why he leaves the 90 and 9 and goes after the one, because he loves people. See, our problem is sometimes we treat our Christianity as if it were some type of club in which we don't want other people to join because they might ruin it. Can I hear an amen? You see, we try and keep it to ourselves. It's like, well, if those dirty, rotten, filthy sinners come in here, then you know they're going to spoil stuff. The church is a hospital for sick people who desperately need the healing touch of the Lord Jesus. And that means they're not going to look like you. They're not going to talk like you. They may not smell like you. They may not live where you live. We have been called to reach out to the whole world. And that includes people with whom we disagree, people whom we don't like, because let's be honest, there's not a whole lot of reason for God to like any of us. Amen? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I was broken, I was bruised, I was worthless, really, to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, until his grace came upon me. God loves the whole world. This is the universal nature of salvation. And notice I didn't say universal salvation. I am not saying, nor does your Bible paint the picture that everyone will be saved, but everyone can be saved. But you need to share the gospel with them. They need to know about the plan. And so Jesus now illuminates this plan. You see, because Christians, if we were conservative in our understanding, there might be maybe close to two billion Christians on this earth out of the nearly seven billion people. But that leaves a hundred, you know, billion of many different groups of people. There are 1.5 billion Muslims on this earth that don't believe in the Savior Jesus because the Savior Jesus is God's own son and they believe God has no son. What are we doing about that? What about the the 150 uh, million people that are on this planet that believe that somehow animals are God? You, you see, we kind of compartmentalize and we say, Well, let's deal with us because we already know the truth. Jesus is looking at people that need the Savior in this passage, not who have already found him. And he speaks into their lives. The the great commission is go into all of the world. Amen. I was asked the question, why do we have flags in the fellowship hall? Let me give you the answer. The whole world. Those are the nations that we're currently involved in. To our missions ministry. They're places that we are going and have gone. The gospel is the gospel of all the whole world. And so Jesus starts to... Paint this picture of these seeds that need to die. Every life, every person is a seed that needs to die to self. I have to die so Christ can live in me. The old man has to pass away so the new man can come. And Christ is going to be the firstborn of those who must die so that we can live. Amen? He's saying, look, unless a seed falls to the ground, it it can't produce more seeds. But there's a subsequent truth. If you have died to self, you're supposed to produce more seed. You're supposed to be watering and planting and fertilizing and talking to people because Jesus loves people. We cannot let the Great Commission become the Great Omission. We can't forsake the call that's on our lives to reach out to others. And so Jesus says, look, part of us being us is saying, I now have a new calling on my life. Every one of us in here has already, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, and I pray, and I believe that many, if not most of us are, This is meaningful because Christ died for us. We are now supposed to reciprocate by dying for him. Dying to the old us. Being the new us. Having new objectives. New goals. New plans in our life. My goal is to take as many people to heaven as I possibly can. That's my goal. Because I can't take anything else. But I can see to it that people get to go with me so jesus says look who needs seeds well we all do that's why he came that's why he's come in the first place but you see the problem that we have in our culture is that very often we want to be comfortable and we become not conformable you see we want what we want in this world because it's comfortable. We don't want people thinking we're one of those weird Christians. We don't want people thinking we're a Jesus freak. We we don't really want to do a whole bunch of dying to ourselves. We want Jesus and we want to keep everything else too. You see, Christ did not come to make you comfortable. He came to make you conformable. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Rome, we are not to be conformed to this world. Amen? But we absolutely are to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus. And the question is, will we take up that task with a whole heart? Can the world see Jesus in you? There's an interesting verse in Malachi 3, in verse 3, and it says this. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Speaking of the Lord, and it's kind of a weird, you think about it, it's like oh, that's weird. That seems strange. Let me share a little story with you while you think on that thought. A woman called the silversmith and she was very interested in the silversmithing process. And she said, I'd like to come and sit in your studio. She didn't mention anything for the reason for the visit. But she said, "I, I really don't understand how it is that you can take metal and and turned it into something so beautiful that glistens and shines and has all of this detail. And so she watched the silversmith. He first began in front of a crucible in a very hot fire. And with a set of tongs, he took pieces of raw metal and put them inside of that crucible. And he sat there and he let it heat up and as he explained it, he said, as I'm doing this, I have to stay with the silver while it's in the fire. I can't just walk away from it. The woman began to think about her own life and how very often our lives contain some hot spots, amen? Amen. And she asked the silversmith, "Is, is, is this part of the process? Does it have to happen? Is there any other way? And he said, no. The silversmith has to sit with the silver in the fire. There's no other way. And she says, well, how do you know how long to leave the silver in the fire. And he said, that's very easy. As soon as I can see my reflection in it, it's done. As soon as the dross is burned away, as soon as it's pure, as soon as there's nothing left but silver, and the silversmith looks into the crucible... All he sees is his own face. Can I tell you that's exactly what Jesus is doing in each of you? He's leaving you in the crucible only so long as until he can see his own image when he looks into your life. That's why those trials come. That's why you're in this world. The world is watching to see if they can see the reflection of Jesus. That's why you go through all that stuff that you don't like, don't want, and didn't ask for. It's an opportunity for the refiner to refine you so that people can see Jesus. I'm going to ask the communion team to begin to pass out the elements of communion. And again, I remind you that This is a believer's supper. It is for those of us who know the Lord personally. If you're here visiting with us, let me give you just a very brief understanding of what's about to happen. These two elements, the bread and the cup, represent the broken body, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And they are precious to us who believe in his name and have received his grace because they represent the price paid for us at Calvary's cross. And so this morning, maybe you came with a friend and, and you don't know whether you want to participate in communion. You're under no compulsion to do so. So as the trays come, you may have just simply allow them to go past. But if you'd like to participate with us, and maybe when you came today, you didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you would like to, You can simply invite Jesus into your life right now. Ask him to forgive your sin, to cleanse your life, to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Offer him your life. You die to yourself and allow him to live in you. And then you're going to participate with us in your first communion. But as the elements are being passed out, first the bread and then the cup, Jesus goes on to speak about the glorious victory of the cross. And it is a glorious victory, amen? Because what Christ did on the cross is what we can't do for ourselves. I cannot forgive my own sin. I cannot pay the price for my own sin. You could have beat me until I died and it would have never been sufficient to take care of my own debt. You could have nailed me to the cross. You could have poured out every drop of my blood, but because I am not holy and because in me dwells no good thing like every single other individual on the face of this earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God's own son died in my place. And so Jesus speaks of this death that he would die. He says, for this reason, I came into the world. And to that end, Jesus is actually judging the world. He's saying, look, you can't save yourselves. It's an impossibility. Jesus had to die for me. Jesus had to fulfill all that was spoken of him in the law and the prophets. Jesus, God's own son, had to be lifted up exactly as this passage says. He had to be crucified. A public spectacle was made of Jesus. Think about it for a moment. That the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God incarnate in human flesh... Emmanuel, the creator of heaven and earth. The alpha, the omega, the beginning and end. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. The Lord of glory. That one that we call the great I am. Was nailed to Calvary's cross to die in my place so that I could have eternal life and be made righteous in the eyes of a holy God. So Jesus says, for this reason, I must be lifted up. Fulfilling that prophecy But the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 said that the sun would be high and lifted up. The servant glorified while being crucified. Did you know that the devil trembled when Jesus went to the cross? The demons saw what was going on and they said, oh, this is not good. You see because when Jesus cried out to tell us it is finished what he was also saying is you are finished death is defeated swallowed up as Paul would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 death is swallowed up in victory mind boggling That we now have eternal life because of what Christ did on the cross for me. One day, Satan, exactly as Revelation 12 says, he's getting cast out. He's already judged, he's been weighed, he's been found wanting, and one day he's going to get what's coming. But that was made possible by Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And so Jesus says, but for this cause I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, if killing me saves them, kill me. Can you imagine? That's how much Christ loves you. That's how much the Lord loves you. You see, because he was drawing you to him. You were asking the question. You you said the same words as the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? The same things that Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born again? Jesus said, easy. Believe on me and believe on him who sent me. And you will be saved. Jesus didn't say, go to church, though. Prayerfully, you can find Jesus in church. Jesus didn't say, do this or do that. He said, believe on me. And because we have believed and because we have received, because our lives are now hidden in Christ, that war that we were born into when you took your first breath you were a sinner who needed a savior. And while you were graciously covered by the the blood of Christ until you could understand what sin was, the moment you became aware, Christ began crying out to you, Jeff, you need me. You can't save yourself. And so, Jesus on Calvary's cross, Jesus in the courtyard of Pilate, shined his light on this world. And so, Jesus said to you and to me, Jeff, I'm going to leave, but I want you to shine... My light. I want people to be able to look into the crucible of your life when you're going through the fiery tests, the trials, when that temptation, Jeff, comes to you. I want you to show them me. I want you to reflect me. And to make that possible, Jesus said, This is my body which is broken for you, and as often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into this world, and we pray now as we receive the bread. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died in my place, in our places, and we receive this bread with gladness, Lord. It is manna from heaven, It is new life. We bless your name. We remember you, Jesus, as we partake together. Let's partake together. The beauty of that first last supper was this. Jesus had to be beaten. He had to be bruised. As Isaiah said, the chastisement for our peace was placed upon him. There was a point to all of it. But as he took that cup after supper, as he first himself drank from it, imagine as Jesus is holding that cup, And that most of the people had at least an understanding if we're not fully Jewish. Oh, they understood what the law could do, the law could condemn. They understood that every one of them in that room were guilty. And so Jesus takes the cup and he says, This cup is a new covenant. And what he was saying was, it's not like the old covenant. It's a covenant in my blood. Shed for the actual remission of sin. You see, the Jews knew atonement. Atonement means covering. Remission means removal. Stain gone. Blemish done away with. Sin removed from God's sight. You see, it's no longer covered It's actually gone. Your sin's gone. Jesus said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sin, and as often as you drink from it, you do show forth the Lord's glory until he comes. Let's partake together. Would you stand, please? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. Lord, we pray that we would help others see you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on Calvary's cross and setting us free from the bondage of sin. Thank you for inscribing our names on your hands through the nails of the cross. Thank you for lifting us out of the miry clay and setting our feet on the rock. King Jesus, we glorify you. We honor you. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us, your body that was broken for us. Help us, Lord, to be so refined as to reflect you. We bless you. We praise you. God's people all said.